So welcome to our next podcast in our series from the Royal Meteorological Society. I'm Liz Bentley, Chief Executive at the Royal Met Society. I'm Tara Thompson, Head of Communications. And we're here today to discuss the recent heatwave in the UK. So Liz, um, what is a heatwave and why do they happen? So heatwaves are quite difficult really to pin down because wherever you are in the world there's a slightly different kind of index or definition for, for heatwaves. But it's really a prolonged spell of, of high temperatures, heat. And um, the WMO does have a definition that I think gives a, a little bit of a description around it. Uh, and they basically say that a heat wave is when you've had uh, five consecutive days or more where the temperature is five degrees Celsius above what you'd expect for the average. So typically heat waves happen during our summer months. They can happen in spring and autumn, but typically in the summer months. And they'll happen when we've either got high pressure uh, dominating for days on end, uh, where you've got clear blue skies, lots of warm sunshine, and the temperature just gradually goes up day after day after day. And that's what we've seen here in the UK. We can get heat waves, though, if the wind direction will bring in a flow of, of, of hotter air. Uh, so, for example, a southerly flow might get some heat from North Africa brought up to the UK. Or in the summer months, we may have flow from the continent, so a, a kind of easterly or southeasterly direction. So we bring that heat in from the continent to the UK. But it has been high pressure that's brought the heat for us. And as we see that high pressure move from southern parts of the UK, north and westwards, we've noticed the heat has transferred. So it was in the southeast at the weekend and in the beginning of, of this week and then transferred to uh, northwest England yesterday and it will move into Northern Ireland and Scotland as we go through the next few days as that high pressure moves as well. Yeah, we saw temperatures of 30.7 degrees Celsius yesterday in Cheshire. Um, but that's not a record temperature, is it, Liz? In 2003, we had um, a similar heat wave, mm -hmm. but very high temperatures and quite dangerous, actually. There was 2,000 deaths. We saw temperatures of 35 degrees um, in parts of southern UK, in Kent. Mm -hmm. um, and coming up to the anniversary, well, in, in a few days' time, it was 42 years ago that we had the heat wave in 1976. Mm -hmm. um, and that's probably one of the most memorable heat waves that we had because it was such a long period. We went through for about 15 days. Um, can you tell us about your experience with that heat wave, Liz? Yeah, so I was around in 76 and I was growing up in Yorkshire and uh, I was probably about seven at the time. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it was not just the heat uh, throughout the whole of the summer, but it was the, the drought as well. Uh, so we'd had a, an exceptionally dry winter uh, dry spring and so we went into a very hot summer with you know reservoirs pretty empty rivers you know running very low and in Yorkshire um, uh, we had standpipes in the in the road so we had no running water in the house for weeks on end and standpipes where you know we'd have to go out with buckets and pans anything you could fill up with water and my mum was bringing up three young children at the time with no running water in the house for cooking or cleaning uh, you know, exceptional heat. So again, trying to keep cool, it, it was it was very very difficult for me as a seven year old. It was great fun. I was out in the in the in the road with the standpipe, you know, pots and pans, splashing water with my friends. I thought this was great. I didn't really kind of understand the the severity. I guess at that time, I just thought it was good fun to to be able to play with my friends. But but looking back, it must have been quite horrendous, particularly for you know businesses and and as I say, my mum in particular trying to bring up kind of young children. Uh, with, with no running water and all that excessive heat. 
but you're right. I think you know people who are around will remember the summer of '76. Everyone has a tale or a story to tell. Most people probably remember it with quite fondness. You know, it was a very dry, hot summer, uh, and the government introduced a, a minister for drought right at the very end of the summer. And I remember there's a story, I think almost the day after that person took up their role, the heavens opened and it didn't stop raining. So <laughs> maybe that's the thing to do if there's a heat wave on the horizon or a drought is just to, you know, have a heat wave minister or a, a drought minister. Well, I can't imagine what we would do today with the likes of the fires that we are experiencing in northern parts of Manchester at the minute. Um, with regards to safety going on that point. Um, are there any resources out there that we can look to go to in how to cope with extreme heat um, in these conditions? Yeah, so the Met Office actually push out a warning when we have um, prolonged heat and they have a heat health alert. And that's been enforced actually over the last couple of days. I think we've gone up to uh, a level two. So it means we're going to have consecutive days where both the temperature in the daytime is high. So it usually gets to around 30 degrees. But quite particularly, the temperature at nighttime doesn't drop down below, you know, 18, 19, 20 degrees, because that's really important. Sometimes we focus on the heat in the daytime and the record temperatures. But actually, when you have high temperatures at nighttime, it means that our bodies can't uh, recover. So 24 hours a day, we're constantly trying to keep our, ourselves cool, both in the daytime and nighttime. Uh, and you're right, there's lots of information out there. Um, Public Health England have uh, advice on, on what to do both in the daytime, so keeping out of midday sun, trying to keep in the shade. If you can go anywhere that's got air conditioning, uh, you know, even if it's just for half an hour, do so, because it just gives your body a little bit of respite from trying to keep it cool all the time. You just you know, get a little bit of rest from that. At night time, very difficult to keep cool, but you know, again, if you can keep windows open, wear light clothing in bed, certainly don't have the duvet on the bed, you know, you don't really need any sort of covers at all. Maybe a fan, if you can cope with that from, from a noise perspective, but, but it's very difficult. It's the night time, I think, is, is the problem. And that's where people tend to struggle, particularly the elderly and particularly the very young, because their bodies don't tend to regulate the heat as much as, say, a kind of younger, uh, you know, adult, kind of uh, healthy adults. Uh, and uh, those are the ones that tend to be prone more to, to problems uh, when we have excessive heat. And I suppose anyone who works outdoors as well, it's quite important for them to wear high factor sunscreen. Um, I see. I saw on social media recently there was an image of a man who was working on a building site in the UK during the week, and he had second-degree burns Gosh. from the sun. Yeah, it's um, so strong at this time of year. So yeah, it's it's cover up or slap on some sunscreen, and drink plenty of water because your body's sweating almost constantly. So you you need to replenish you know the, the fluid in the body and 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 keep yourself hydrated. So you know it's almost constantly drinking water, uh, whether you know you carry a bottle around with you or just making sure you have regular breaks to, to get some fluids on board. Yeah, and I suppose that's keeping your pets hydrated as well because it's easy to focus on the human aspect of this, but we can't forget our furry friends. Absolutely. Animals, pets struggle as much as, as, as humans do in, in the heat. So it's a similar kind of message. You know, they, they don't really want to be outside when in the middle of the day in direct sunlight, trying to keep them in the shade, keep them cool, keep them hydrated as well. Uh, you know, again, if you think about direct sunlight on pavements, that, that can heat up really to really high temperatures, you know, much above the, the air temperature that we, we talk about and measure, and it can burn their pores. So, you know, you really do need to think, and, you know, obviously, 
things don't leave them in a, in a car, locked car with closed windows because the, the temperature inside a vehicle can just you know, reach excessive amounts as well. As an extremely amateur gardener, <laughs> and I know you're quite experienced at this, could you give me some tips on how to keep my plants um, alive and healthy yeah. during this week? Well, so the heat's probably not the problem in the garden. It, it's the lack of rainfall that's the real problem. Um, and, you know, you're constantly watering at this time of year. It's certainly a daily ritual for me. Every evening I'm out there watering my pots on, on the patio, but also the kind of, you know, flower beds and so forth. I had a vegetable plot down the bottom of my garden. I'm constantly watering that. Um, my water butt's almost empty, so, you know, I'm reliant on hose pipe. Um, but uh, I think a little bit of planning ahead, and you can maybe, you know, there, there are certain plants out there that are a little bit more drought resistant. So if you think ahead at the beginning of the summer, uh, you can certainly start to introduce more, you know, variety of plants into the garden. And even the different pots that you use in the garden can, can, can make a big difference. So if you think about a dark coloured pot, maybe a black pot that you might have on the patio, Black absorbs sunlight and heats up much, much quicker than a lighter coloured pot. And so the heat inside that pot, a dark coloured pot, is much, much higher than, say, a lighter coloured pot. And that puts a lot of stress on the roots uh, of the plant inside the pot. So um, if you can go for lighter coloured pots, kind of, you know, tanny colour, anything that's a slightly lighter colour, that's really good. Terracotta pots, if they're, not, if they're not glazed, tend to dry out much, much quicker. You'll notice that in the garden. I mean, I've got a few terracotta pots. They dry out almost as soon as you've watered them. And they're porous, so that moisture from the, the root ball comes out through the pot and then the airflow just evaporates all that moisture. So they do dry out much quicker. They look very nice, but they dry out really quickly. So an ideal pot for me would be a glazed pot, less porous, so it doesn't um, allow that, that water to seep out and evaporate, but a light coloured pot as well. And you'll notice that, that plants tend to thrive. They don't get stressed out with the heat and they don't dry out as quick. Uh, so there's a few little tips, but it's, it is, it's about constant watering at the moment and uh, keeps us busy. Yeah, the Royal Horticultural Society, I know that they have a few tips on drought-resistant gardening. Now, this might not be a feature in the UK anytime soon, but mm -hmm. if it's a if the heat wave is a feature of the UK somewhere in the future, that might be the way that we have to, to look forward. Yeah, I agree. And there, there's lots of ideas, both for collecting water in the garden. Uh, I mean, obviously one is water butts, but there are different ways in actually kind of storing water. So when we do see the rainfall, which we obviously get in the UK, it's about capturing that and storing it for the periods when we, we have a lack of rainfall. Um, but you're right, different plants, planting them in different positions in the garden so that, you know, you can... Um, you know, provide natural shade, uh, naturally kind of cooler spots for, for some of the plants as well. Just adding a water feature into the garden, it's almost like natural air conditioning. So it helps us and it helps the kind of plants as well. So there are different ways, I think, to, to plan ahead and that's something we may, maybe need to do more and more. So lots of information from the Royal Horticultural Society and, and we've been working with them over the last um, couple of years as they've been looking at gardens in a changing climate, a report that they brought out last April thinking about actually how we need to evolve in our gardens and as gardeners as well, how we can contribute to that kind of climate change world that, that is ahead. If anyone was interested, I know that we're holding some events um, over the next few months in line with the RHS and the work that we're doing with them at the minute. Um, where can 
where can we get information about this event and how can we sign up? Yes, yeah, so since the RHS launched the Gardening in a Changing Climate report last April, we've been working with them to, to get that message out to different audiences. So we've run a, a few events, uh, one in Manchester in March, second event we ran in Bristol in June, and we've got one coming up in the autumn in Birmingham uh, in October. And people can find out if they want more information about the event, what we cover. So, you know, it's of interest if you're into gardening, but also if you've got an interest in, in the climate change scenarios and what, what's likely for the future. Um, I'd, I'd advise them to go to the Royal Met Society website, which is www.rmets.org. Well, you've heard it, everybody in the Midlands who can join me at that event in mm. October. Um, I suppose for any other information on events coming up at the Society, um, you can direct yourselves to our social media sites. We have a Twitter account, Facebook um, and Instagram. Great, so I think that's it from us. We've talked about heat and hot weather and I'm going outside now to cool off. So, A cold yeah. glass of water, I think, is what we need. Yeah. <laughs> so bye from Tara and bye from myself. Bye. <laughs>